Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 79 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast with a big-name interview show every Monday, like this one, and short four- or five-minute daily episodes released Tuesday through Sunday on a show that I call This Day Rocks. As always, I thank you for hitting play. Now, my guest for today's big interview show is a man with over 50 gold and platinum records to his name. He's worked with so many of the greatest musicians of all time, absolute top draw legends. He's been Rod Stewart's friend, guitar player and songwriting partner since the 70s. He's recorded the famous, iconic solo on the number one hit from Steve Harley and the Cockney Rebel, Come Up and See Me, Make Me Smile. He's worked with Elton John, Bernie Taupin, Willie Nelson, Joe Cocker, Queen's Roger Taylor, Traffic's Dave Mason, Roger Chapman, John Wetton, Cat Stevens, Katie Melua, Kid Rock, Glass Tiger, and so many more. He's been awarded three ASCAP awards for outstanding songwriting, and he played in front of three and a half million people on Copacabana Beach, which is in the Guinness Book of World Records as the staging of the largest outdoor concert in history. It's been an incredible career, and I can't wait for you to hear a tiny slice of that in this interview with Jim Cregan. Now, we talk about the solo on that number one single, how hard it was to leave Steve Harley to join Rod Stewart, how Rod wanted to continue the feel of the faces with this new band, his highlights with Rod, some of his production work, including directing the legendary Etta James in studio, and much more as well. Plus, we chat about his own band, Cregan & Co., and their new Christmas song, which is raising money for an important charity. So please... Enjoy my interview with the brilliant, light-hearted and humble Jim Cregan. First of all, looking around your room, I see some lovely guitars behind you. I mean, um, are there any special ones you could tell us about just right now? Um, the one that's uh, behind me there, that one, that's, a, that's an old Martin. That's, um, and that's the, the, my go-to acoustic guitar. That's been on all the acoustic guitar work I've ever done in the studio. From uh, come up and see me, make me smile. To um, I was only joking. You know, lots of lots of uh, successful records. It's been on. It's a beautiful guitar. Oh, wow! It's not the. Re- I had a really fancy one, a G forty five, but I find myself not using it. Always going to that one. Wow! How old is that then? About nineteen seventy. Sorry, around 19... Yeah, about 1970. Incredible stuff. Incredible yeah. stuff. I love hearing things like that. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Jim, today here on Vintage Rock Pod. Um, you're joining us to talk about um, a Christmas song, uh, When a Child is Born, your cover of uh, Johnny Mathis' song, of course. Now, you've mm-hmm. done this with Cregan & Co., uh, your yep. band, and you've done this for a special charity, haven't you? So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so a year ago, um, about this time a year ago, the, uh, the founder of the charity, which is called Angel Force USA, which is a, a, a suicide awareness program, especially for American veterans, but, but pretty well it works for anybody who's at risk of, uh, of suicide. Um, and she said, why don't you do a Christmas song and we'll put it up in you know, part of the uh, promotion for the, the charity, which is kind of ongoing. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, great. So I sat down and listened to loads and loads of Christmas songs. And the one that I liked best was When a Child is Born. I didn't really want to do one of the kind of, the hymn ones, you know, <laughs> Come All Ye Faithful, or even though they're great songs. I thought this this one spoke to me. And um, so I, I went ahead and got the guys together and recorded it, sent it off to um, my friend Anne Dunsmore, the founder, and she said, um, 
what's this then? I said, it's a famous song. It's where a child is born. So it's a bit like the cheese, the, the, the cheese sketch in Monty Python. <laughs> Not around here it isn't, she said. So it turned out the one Christmas song I chose wasn't a big hit in America. So it was like starting oh. from scratch for them. So they put it out, but they didn't, they, nobody paid any attention to it because they, they didn't recognise it as, a, as a, one of their traditional tunes. So um, come uh, a few months ago, and, and I met with her again, and I said, I think I ought to put it out in England rather than worry about uh, America and see what we can do. And that's when, uh, that's when we, we figured out. We should, I took, originally, I sang the bridge um, uh, at one point, and then uh, Ben Mills kindly... Uh, uh, we have two great singers in our band, mm-hmm. Ben Mills and Sam Tanner. And Sam uh, sang most of the lead on this, and then Ben Mills comes in. I was a bit cheeky. I wrote a bridge for it um, because I, as Johnny Mathis talks in the middle of it, and that's one of the things I find really hard to duplicate. And it, it feels a bit kind of, you know, I'm not that thrilled with people talking on records. You're supposed <laughs> to sing, you bastard. <laughs> so... So I, I wrote a little bridge to uh, to get rid of that bit, and um, and Ben sings that. So this is both of my, both of the singers of my band are on it. Wonderful stuff. Well, you mentioned Ben and Sam there. Talk about about um, Cregan and Co. Then, because it's about what a decade or so you've you've had your band running now. Talk about yeah. you know, the guys involved now and and what you do. Well, it started off uh, some time ago uh, with the, the idea that uh, the songs that I'd written with Rod and songs that I played on ought to be. Uh, uh, we should feel comfortable going out and playing those tunes because I had a lot to do with them, like 20 odd years of uh, work with Rod, uh, and, and I'm involved in a whole bunch of those hits. Um, so uh, we started doing that, and then it was gently sort of started to morph into something not quite as uh, Rod Stewart uh, orientated, although, although it's still quite a large part of our repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, and we rearrange them. We don't do them necessarily like the record. Sometimes we do, depending on what we feel like. And we've got our own album out, um, yeah. which is called uh, Spreading Rumours. And that's nearly all original material. Um, and, and I'm, a, I'm well, any money I've really made in this business uh, uh, has been as a writer. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, a, there's another wall here which is full of platinum records, but the <laughs> computer's facing this way. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah so i yeah i've as a songwriter i've been i've had some good moments you know those... <laughs> to put it politely absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's what we're doing you know we're doing we, and we go out and we play I, okay so i should i should explain i don't really uh love the idea of lots and lots of travel I've, i'm a single dad Mm-hmm. Um, I have a wonderful seventeen-year-old uh, daughter called Ava, who's at school here in Christchurch, and uh, I don't really want to be away for for great lengths of time. I mean, I've I've done all that. I've been around the world, you know, yes. half a dozen times, maybe more, and uh, I don't want to miss being around for her, you know, and put somebody else in, you know, one of the family members or something. So, so we play concerts, we play theatres, um, uh, festivals. And generally, uh, I'm rarely away for more than one night, and she, you know, she can cope with that. But now and again, I have to go to America and do stuff for the charity, which I'm doing just before Christmas. That'll take me away for uh, ten days. But I've got her cousin is going to come and stay here and look after her. 
She doesn't really need looking after. She's 17. I was going to say, she she's probably a, needs a little break. She should, should be building a, a, a rocket in the back garden. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Uh, so just to, reiterate, <laughs> uh, just to reiterate, when a child is born, um, get your hands on it now. It's a fantastic version that Cregan and co have done. Um, Jim, it would be remiss of me not to, to, to talk about your fantastic career. You've mentioned your, your gold and platinum discs and we've we had a little chat about your guitar behind you. Um, I just want to start quickly with um, something from one of my listeners, though, Dave Alcock, and he's a listener of Vintage Rock Pod for a long time. He's a huge fan of the band Family, a big mm. fan. Uh, he's been wanting me to get Roger on the show for a long time. And I'm trying my best to track him down. But just for um, Dave, who listens, can you tell me a little bit about your time with Family and, and what it was like working with Roger? Um, okay, so uh, first of all, I was with uh, I was with family for a couple of years, and I was brought in, strange enough, to replace uh, John Wessel, who's a wonderful, who's an old friend of mine and a wonderful bass player. So that came down that uh, family and and one of the bands I was in called Blossom Toes uh, were very good pals mm-hmm. back in the I don't know the early seventies, I suppose, and. Um, when they and Polly Palmer, who played drums in Blossom Toes, went on to play vibes and flute in Family, so we had a large connection going on there. Um, connection, I suppose to say. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they, when John Weeder left, they said, Do "You know any bass players?" I said, "I've got this fantastic mate of mine, uh, John Wesson. You should uh, give him a try." So they tried him, and they loved him. And and he was he's a wonderful musician, a fabulous bloke. Um, so. Then he got a better offer for loads more money to go to America, which is, you know, the, the, bass, the bass players are a bit like the drummer in, in Spinal Tap. They're always blowing up or leaving <laughs> or something weird. So, so they'd had about four bass players before John came along. John left and, and uh, Charlie Whitney, the guitar player, phoned up and said, um, John's left. Oh, I said, I'm sorry to hear that. So he said, uh, well, it's your fault. I said, what are you talking about? He said... It, you're the one that recommended him, so it's your fault. I mean, if you hadn't recommended him, we'd still have a bass player. I said, there is some logic in there, but I'm having trouble with it. He said, uh, I, I think then maybe you ought to play bass. I said, I'm not a bass player, I'm a guitar player, you know that. I, you know, I've never been a bass player. They said, well, you are now. I said, I don't even have a bass guitar. They said, we've just bought you one. Yeah. <laughs> so that was it. I was the bass player. And uh, I've had a wonderful time. Uh, great people. Tony Ashton joined uh, at one point when Polly Palmer left, and uh, he was one of the funniest humans I've ever spent any time with. <laughs> so there was, it was a very happy band. And, Rod, and Roger, to work with Roger Chapman is it's very. He's a very interesting man. He's very complex. Um, he's he has a whole sensitive side to him that allows him to be a lyricist and a writer. And he also he also is a tough guy as well. He, he was he was brought up. In Leicestershire, in a, in a, <laughs> I think I might be stretching it to say it was a crime family. <laughs> definitely, there was definitely some bad behaviour going on over that side, and um, so you wouldn't want to get into a punch up with him. Mm-hmm. But he can be really uh, uh, warm and, and kind. And I made uh, an album with him. He asked me to produce uh, his record. It's called uh, One More Time for Peace. I think that was called. Um, and so we spent loads of time together doing all the pre-production and then we went and uh, recorded it with a bunch of great guys. And so I know him very well and I'm really very fond of him. But he's, a, he's becoming a bit more of a recluse. Mm-hmm. He always was a bit of a recluse. Um, but uh, he's, he's a great guy and, and a hell of a singer. Really Fantastic. good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 
Definitely. Um, and then after that, we have to mention um, Steve Harley with the Cockney Rebel, the reformed Cockney Rebel, weren't you, for, for five yeah. years. And um, the, you've mentioned the guitar there. I mean, that solo, it's instantly memorable. Everyone can recognise it as soon as they hear it. Um, mm. Steve himself says it, it's not an easy solo to play. And the recording as well was was maybe two or three takes that was kind of cut together. What's your memories of, of recording that song and that solo? Um, well, it was at Abbey Road uh, at the Beatles studio, the one, the one that we come down the stairs from the control room into the main uh, recording room. And it was, quite, it was getting quite late, uh, probably midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and I'd had a, I think I must have had at least a couple of drinks. I, that would be normal for me, especially again towards the end of the session. I didn't think I was going to have to do any more because, uh, you know, we were now listening to vocals. I can't remember what we were doing exactly, but... Anyway, somebody said, why don't you just try and stick that solo on? I said, okay. So um, for some reason, I picked up the acoustic guitar rather than the electric and had a a crack at it. And I got, okay, so I have to explain, back in those days, we were working on, I think, probably 24-track recording. So most most of the tracks were already filled up. So I think there were two tracks left for me. Um... Uh, so I could rec- I could get two takes at it, and the, you had to then start throwing things away. You know, if you if you didn't mm-hmm. you didn't like the take, you threw it away. There was no point keeping that and trying to use bits out of that. You couldn't do that. You can't like, you can't Pro Tools now. So um, so I think I played the first part of it pretty well straight off the bat, right off the top of my head, and then I I, I was struggling to get the second half. So I had two or three goes maybe at that, but we threw them away, and then then the, 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 the Track two, then I had a front and a back, and we put the two of them together, and that was it. But it didn't take very long, probably um, 20 minutes, maybe, maybe less. Fantastic. Well, I, I, I do my best work when I've not when I've done what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 when I'm not th- thinking is one of the things that ruins music. I love that. <laughs> and, you know, if you're, if you're like me, you're self-taught. I play best when, I, when, I don't, when I'm slightly... Um, how do you, it's you have to allow inspiration to arrive. Yes, okay? and, and inspiration is not doesn't come through thought. No, it comes naturally, logic. doesn't it? it yeah, comes, it comes another way. That's you know that's why pretty well anybody could write a song. It's just getting out of your own way. Yeah, uh, you know it's 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 a, it's not that difficult once you figure out you shouldn't be judging yourself all the time, and you know and. and I have done some solos and a solo on one of Rod's songs where I just couldn't get it. And so I said, listen, leave me alone for 10, 15 minutes and I'll work something out. And I worked out a, 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 a nice melodic part and it was quite a nice, it was quite a nice solo. I played it on a nylon guitar. I can't remember the song now. Um, and I was quite pleased with it, but it was, it was, I learned it. Mm-hmm. You know, this was the other way around. I've had to learn it after I've played it. <laughs> That's a that sounds really Irish, doesn't it? I am Irish, so loud. <laughs> and with Steve saying that the solo itself is a really difficult one, he says in in later incarnations of the band, and when he tours with it in later years, he, he's always um, had to make sure he's got a, a top notch guitar player to actually play this because people expect it to sound a certain way. Do, so, do you remember it being difficult to, as you said, that learn what you'd played in the studio back when you were doing it live? No, no, is it because because I, because I made it up, it falls to my hands in, in, in a very natural way. So no, it's not. It, it, it you know you, you've got to you, you've got to have a certain facility to be able to do it. But uh, I didn't find it particularly difficult. I find it quite hard sometimes. 
I mean, I still make mistakes. I'm one of those guys mm. that, I, as I said, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't even know I, how I know how to play the guitar. That's the truth. <laughs> if I think about it, I can't play the bloody thing. And sometimes I'm so wretched, because I, I play every morning when I get up. I, I've got a routine where I have a cup of coffee and I sit and I play the guitar for an hour or so, just when I'm in that kind of not quite awake and, and st- yeah. definitely not asleep. And I find in that kind of twilight period that I find new things to do. Oh. So, and, and, and I can't, I know this sounds daft. How can you surprise yourself? I mean, you're the one that's there. <laughs> that shouldn't be, there. that shouldn't be something you even think, but that's really what happens. You play something you've never played before and you don't know how you play it. Why did I play that? Why, why did my hands go there? That's the inspiration part, I guess. Indeed. You never know when the muse strikes, do you? Absolutely. No, you don't. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Who's keeping an eye out for him or That's her. it, that's it, that's it. Um, and after having, well, the number one and all those hits with Steve, you then left to join Rod Stewart, who you've mentioned a couple of times there. I mean, how? first of all, how did that chance come about? Well, uh, I guess uh, I really owe that one to Steve. Um, okay. uh, well, or even straight, maybe even another step is uh, Linda Lewis, who was my wife at that time. Uh, a great singer, a great artist, um, and in fact, funny enough, I went to see Rod Stewart uh, Tuesday night, that's a couple of nights ago, and uh, the O2. And there was a picture up of him wearing some outlandish outfit that he put up for fun. And in the background uh, was, was Linda Lewis. And, uh, and I said to my daughter, who was with me, I said, look, there's Linda. And at that point, he broke into Do You Think I'm Sexy? And the, the, the high melody of that, uh, that riff, which is, is, is Linda singing. So I had two goes at Linda that night, you know, two, two moments to think about her. Um, so she was doing a record, and Cat Stevens was producing it, and I'm sorry about all the name dropping, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately these are, these are the people involved. <laughs> so he was doing this session, and he wanted Linda, he wanted Linda to, he wanted to produce a couple of tracks for Linda. So he wanted to do it in L.A., and uh, we were living in England, and he, he, he called me up and he said, I'd like you to uh, play guitar on it. I said, great, okay. So Lynn and I nip over to LA, and uh, we cut the tracks. I think we cut three. And I was playing with some great players, some of those guys over there, um, mm-hmm. Holly, Holly Brown and um, Willie Weeks. and Oh, God, they were great. I mean, I was so out of my depth. I was bricking it. Um, anyway, I get my p- parts done and it seems it's all right. And then Linda's going to do some vocals, so I've got the afternoon off. So I bumped into Rod Stewart uh, some time earlier and I thought, you know, I, he's putting a band together. I should give him a call. So I, I, I called him and he wasn't there. And Britt Eklund answered the phone, which was even better. <laughs> and uh, I said, um, Okay, I'm looking for Rod Stewart. Will you give him this number and ask him to call me back if he was still looking for a guitar player. And he called back, and I got an audition the next day and got the job. So, oh. so I know why he, he, he the, the Steve Harley connection was that he'd seen me play with Steve Harley at the Roxy. He came to the Roxy just because he the, he likes to go and see what's going on. Yeah, and um, and uh, saw me play, and obviously thought. He li- I think he liked the hat I was wearing. I think that was the reason for the job. 
<laughs> wear a good hat in future. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I used to wear one of those sort of flat caps, you know, the, the picky blinders there. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Um, now, uh, what, what was the, well, obviously, it couldn't have been that much of a difficult decision to, to decide to join Rod, given everything. But uh, how difficult was it leaving Steve on the back of the success and the relationship you built up with him? Yeah. Well, that was, that was awful, that part. Um, and, it's so ironic how these things turn out. Mm-hmm. Steve was the only writer in Cockney Report, and there was no room for me to write. And as I explained earlier, you know, songwriting has been part of my life forever. Um, so I I missed out on the opportunity to to first of all to be, be make that creative contribution to the band, but also because you know if financially if you get a hit, it, it's it's kind of a pension. Uh, Steve will tell you about Make Me Smile. Um, so when I when Rod asked me if I joined the band, if I joined the band, I said, "Will there be any writing?" And he said, "Absolutely." He said, "We'll be writing within the band." Um, he wanted in those days to not recreate the faces, but to carry the the spirit of the faces he wanted mm-hmm. to carry forward. You know, uh, because he 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 liked in, it, back in those days. It was nineteen seventy six. He he mostly been in bands. You know, he, he, he'd been in the Jeff Beck group and, uh, and the faces followed that. And before that, he was in bands like Steam Packet. And, and so he was, he was not Rod Stewart's solo artist. Mm-hmm. That came later. Um, but when, uh, when he put this band together, he wanted that feeling. So, um, yeah, I wrote, uh, I started writing, you know, pretty well as soon as we got the, the first few gigs out of the way. And we were touring an album called A Night on the Town. So... Uh, we were playing those tunes uh, for the first uh, few months, and then we went to the studio and made our own record. And, uh, and that had Hot Legs on it and You're In My Heart and a bunch of hits, really. It was, good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was a good record. It was loads of fun. I mean, the faces were probably, well, every every musician's, well, not every musician, but many musicians' favourite bands because they seemed to be having such a good time doing it. And I saw them, I thought, oh, God, I'd love to be in that band. There's no way I'd get rid of Ronnie Wood. <laughs> and somehow Ronnie Wood got rid of himself <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> absolutely um, speaking of that band that Rod put together I mean uh, as I said I spoke to uh, Carmine a piece a couple of times here on Vintage Rock Bodies he's been a great guest a few times and he had so much fun playing with Rod and he still speaks very fondly of that time with you guys and and just as you mentioned there about the songwriting it really was um, it was almost open the floor and, and bring me ideas wasn't it so yeah, yeah. It, it does sound like a, a great kind of melting pot for ideas to, to blossom and grow yeah you you yes of course you would bring songs into rod that were you were sometimes only half formed mm-hmm. and, and and my favorite way to write was actually just sitting down in the room and start from scratch yeah that's a excuse me that's my favorite way to work uh, there's a, a guy called b.a robertson who, who i was very friendly with in in, in america and uh, he said to me no, I, tell, I, I should put this around the other way. I was off to Nashville. As I, at this point, I'd stopped touring with Rod, and I was a, a staff writer for Universal. And Universal had sent me down to Nashville for a week to write. And I said to, to BA, I, I, I haven't done one of these before. I'm a bit nervous about it. I said, I'm going to have a couple of songs, you know, in my back pocket and, uh, you know, in case I, I run into trouble and, and I haven't got any ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, oh, I never do that. He said, that's a, that's a terrible idea. I went, really? 
He said, you go down there with absolutely nothing, a blank sheet of paper. And he says, you go to the edge of the cliff and you jump off. It's a leap of faith. Uh, I said, well, okay. And so I did. And, and wrote, you know, several songs down there, none of which uh, ever turned into anything because it's a bit of an odd way to work in the first place. But that's what I used to like working with Rod, uh, just sit in the room and play a chord and then make up a melody. Um, so, yeah, with all the, the songs that you wrote with Rod, I mean, do you have any favourites that stand out for you? Uh, yeah, um, uh, definitely uh, Forever Young. Yeah. Um, and there's some album tracks that I'm very fond of. Uh, the, the Best Days of My Life is, is one I, I like. Yeah. Uh, Never Give Up on a Dream, which we uh, gave the royalties to the Terry Fox Foundation. That's that guy who had cancer in his leg and had his leg amputated. He was an athlete, mm-hmm. and and bless him, I mean, what a guy. He then decided to raise money for cancer. He would run across Canada, not walk, run across Canada with one leg. I mean, what a man, mm-hmm. what a man. And sadly, the cancer came back on that journey, and it claimed him before he finished. Oh, no. It was a tragic story, but, I mean, what an inspiration. So we, we uh, Ron and I wrote this song called Never Give Up on a Dream. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so there's, a, there's quite a few little songs lying around that uh, that were never that weren't hits, but I'm very fond of Brighton Beach. Uh, I wrote with him a few years back now, and that was his reintroduction to songwriting again. He stopped writing for about 15 years. Okay. I went round his house one day because he and I are, are really, really old friends. So yeah. we we were mates for 40 odd years. Um, I went round his house and I had a guitar with me. Uh, I think it was his request. I don't know why he asked me to bring a guitar. Um, Well, obviously it was to to pretend to write. So we we sat down after lunch and just as as I suggested, the fun way to do it is to to sit together and and come up with something. And I played a few chords and he suddenly started to sing and I followed his melody and he followed my chords and suddenly we've got a song, you know? that's the way <laughs> it's that easy or that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, one. It's box. that easy. It's that easy. Um, <laughs> just touching on something that you mentioned uh, in a previous interview, you said one of your highlights of your career was playing in Rio with Rod. Um, mm. I think you said you'd never felt such energy. Can you talk to us about that day and that experience you had? Well, um, there's something about an enormous crowd. Mm-hmm. They, they bring something to you that you, you're not going to get any other way when you get on a stage in front of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. I, th- I, I want to point out, this is not the Guinness Book of Records, three million people on um, <laughs> on whatever that beach was. Um, Copacabana, yep. Copacabana Beach. Yeah. This is this is Rock in Rio, which yep. was, I don't know, 300,000 people. It was huge. You couldn't, from the stage, you could not see where they finished. It was unbelievable. And... Uh, my, something went wrong with one of my guitars and I actually ended up not playing for a bit and just singing backgrounds. And I felt so comfortable up there in front of all those people. I didn't care. I wasn't like, oh, my God. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just sang and, and, and just loved. There was a great amount of love and affection on that, in, that, in, that, uh, in, in that space. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, really like those, I really like those enormous gigs. Um, but 
you know, it comes with its own difficulties. But you know, the, there's no sound check because you know you you can't have a sound check. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, so you 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 rely on your crew immensely, who are you know the, the, that touring level. They are very very experienced and really great. I mean, the the, the crew you can't I can't say enough great things about road crew because they are great fun and they're really really dedicated and they have a you know tough job they've got to be sometimes setting up at you know eight in the morning and and they don't tear down till you know gone midnight it's this is brutal but they're they're you know they're fantastic Absolutely. I, I love, I always love the crew that I've worked with. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, just moving on from kind of the, the playing and the, the recording to um, the producing side of things as well. I mean, you've worked with London Choir Boys and I've got a big North American listenership who, who know Glass Tiger, of course, and you work with them and, and they yeah. won plenty of awards. What was that like working with them at that time? Oh, it was great. It was great. They're lovely guys. In fact, I went up to, um, to Canada and wrote with... Um, Sam Reed, their keyboard player. Yeah. Um, I wrote a few songs with him. Uh, I, I don't know what happened to those. They, they might have been on one of the records. Um, and Alan Frew, the lead singer, and he and I became quite good mates. And he, that's how we got Rod to sing on the Glass Tiger song, you know, one of the ones that I wrote. I think I've got a production credit as well called uh, My Town. And because Alan being Scottish and Rod's, this this all taking place in LA. Well, I lived in LA for 22 years. Um, and they just bonded immediately over football and Scotland and all. I mean, he's a, he's a, such a, a, a Celtic, um, well, it's a Celtic football, but he's a, a Celtic, he's got a Celtic heart, right? Even though he's half uh, London. <coughs> um so uh, Rod came. Rod said, "Why have you asked me to sing on this?" That was how he put it. You know, <laughs> why have you asked me? And I said, "Well, I didn't think you'd be a you know, record company would let you. You know, it's uh, it's not the same label." And he said, "No, I can fix that." He said, "I want to sing on it." So oh. we came down and sang, and 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 it was it was it was a hit. You know, what can you do? You can't keep him out of the room. No <laughs> 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 oh, way, well, I'm busy. Stop it. <laughs> And all the names that we've heard. Um, just one thing. I heard somewhere once that uh, apparently Phil Liner approached you to be part of Thin Lizzy at he some did, point yeah, as well. He did. Oh, Drinking at the Speakeasy Bar, um, mm-hmm. which was a you know, favourite hangout. Um, yeah, he came, yeah I, I met him several times. He's a lovely, lovely guy. Um, and he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, um, I, I think I'm doing something else. I wasn't that I didn't want the job. I would have been happy mm. to have the job. But uh, there's, there's a friend of mine called Snowy White, who's a guitar yes, player. Course, yeah. And and for some reason, whenever I didn't want a job where I couldn't do it, I'd say, oh, but you need, and, <laughs> and fill in this gap. And so Snowy, Snowy got the job, not only with, he played with me in Cockney Rebel for a little while, but he didn't like me. He's a, he's a blues guitar player and, and, and has, um, how should I put this? Uh, he really knows what he likes and what he doesn't like. And he's yeah. quite particular about it. And, and I, I've got so much respect for him. He's a great player. He's a very dear friend. Uh, but uh, he, he left Cockney Rebel because he didn't really want that, to play that stuff. Um, and then, uh, and then I, I, he got the job with Thin Lizzy. And then um, somebody approached me about playing with Gilmore in the Pink Floyd. Oh. And and uh, I said uh, no, I'm I'm busy. 
Um, but, but the guy you want is filling this blank. <laughs> and so he played with, with Pink Floyd for, for quite a long time. And then he went on to be uh, the, the guitar player with um, the, the, the bass player. Um, what's his name? Um, the bass player in the Pink Floyd started his own band. Oh, Roger Waters. Roger Waters, that's right. Yeah. He played with Roger Waters for 18 years. So I should have taken a percentage because that would be really <laughs> handy. <laughs> Bit of an agent fee, maybe, and something like that. Yeah, yeah. agent, yeah, introductory <laughs> fee. I just love yeah. how you're too busy to play with Pink Floyd. That's, that's just well, phenomenal. Well, uh, I mean, I think by that, I mean, I was already going, I already had a tour booked or something. Yes, you know, of course, right? yeah. Um, um, and just but, one more funny thing that I, I've got to hear from you. Um, apparently... Uh, and a legend, shall we say, Etta James. She spent a whole recording session flirting with you. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, a bit. Yes. <laughs> that was so, it was quite strange. But the difficult part for me, that, so there was a song that I wrote with uh, Robin Lemazurier and Bernie Taupin, because we had a little band together called Farm Dogs, which yeah. you know died a very sad you know, death without anybody even noticing we were around. Um, and we'd written this lovely song called Stars and Seeds. Um, and it's a beautiful, it's a lovely idea from Bernie. The idea was um, that the star would fall from heaven and and from that uh, it would be as a, in the form of a seed and uh, the seed would grow a tree and you could climb that tree and get to heaven, climbing okay. the tree. So it was a great idea, lovely idea. So I got all these people together to to sing a verse each and join in on the chorus. I had Sir James and... Um, Mavis Staples, uh, wow. Staples singers, and Joe Cocker, uh, and a host of really lovely people. So I, I get to produce this thing, you know, because I'm the co-writer on it. And I was working at the time as a staff producer for BMG. <coughs> Excuse me. They don't have staff producers anymore, but it was a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I get her in the room, and she's warming up, and she's uh, she's belting she's you know she's belting and then she stops belting and she sings softly for a bit and uh, and then she goes back to belting and, and so when the when we start to record the track she's arrived with an entourage of about six people <laughs> and and uh and i'm this little white kid behind the glass um and, and she was lovely she was she was lovely um but i liked her singing softly rather than than hard and, yeah. and and she kept, she was going through it. She'd done a couple of takes. And I had to say, you know, Etta, I'm really sorry. You know, and I've got to tell Etta James that she's not doing it right. <laughs> and um, the balls it took for me to make that statement were enormous. I wish I'd kept them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I go out and tell her, yeah, Jim, she says something like, honey, you little, you're my little blonde angel. You I'll do anything you ask. Something like <laughs> something along those lines. She was she was unbelievably charming. Still flirting away at whatever age she was. She was not young at this point. She would have been, you know, well into her seventies, and I was probably in her forties. But uh, she did as I asked, and and it was beautiful. Incredible. It's a it's a funny job that uh, producing because you've got to go with your instincts. You mm-hmm. can't. You have to do what you think is right for the record. I mean, telling Rod he's out of tune, I mean, that's, that's fun. <laughs> but you do that like again, it's mind. not quite perfect, you know, because those days with no, I'm talking about recording on tape. Yes. You've got to get it right. There's no, yeah. you know, and he played me a nice compliment. He said that I would get more 
out of him as a singer than uh, than anybody else when when I was in the control room. I think because he trusted my instincts. I yes. think that was probably what was going on. And I, I and there would just be the engineer and and he and I and um, well you know made a couple, made a few records like that. It was good. I you know. He's a he's a he's a great singer though. He really has got yes, yes, he's got very good instincts. Yeah. Yeah. He's got great timing, a fabulous sound, and uh, and and phrasing. His phrasing is great. He's not yeah. a bad writer either. <laughs> not bad indeed. Not bad indeed. No, um, now we've thrown around so many names, incredible names, and there's so many more that we, we've not even mentioned. Is there mm-hmm. anybody um, that you've not worked with yet that you would love to work with in future? Um. Uh, Billy Eilish. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm huge. Fan. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I love the way she makes records. Never, that's not going to happen. There's no chance of that happening at all. But you know, if you're going to dream, I would dream. I would love to work with her. Um, I just like the way she thinks. Mm-hmm. You know? um, uh, other than that. Well, Ed Sheeran, I'm, I like Ed. I like Ed Sheeran's work. There's not much room there. There's not much room for production with these guys because they they all do it in house, and it's part of of who they are as artists is the production work. Yeah. You know, they're not just uh, guys like Tom Jones who you know who, who probably has the the orchestra or the band all queued up and he just walks in and sings. Um, uh, and you know, that's where I could be used for, you know, putting the band together and doing that sort of stuff. But that's, those are two names that I, th- I think of at the moment. Fantastic stuff. Well, Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Uh, loved hearing all your stories. Again, we'll reiterate just to make sure everyone gets out there and has a listen to and or buys a physical copy of uh, that wonderful Christmas song. If you just want to remind us a little bit about that just to finish the interview. Yeah, well, uh, When a Child is Born, it's available on all platforms. You know, you can download it from... Apple and Amazon, and uh, uh, the money of the, from this will go to uh, the charity I was speaking about, Suicide Awareness Charity. Yeah, it's a grown-up subject, suicide awareness, and one of the reasons that the, almost nobody does it is because it's not a subject that people want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So we have a word, and we should finish with this word. It's a, it, it's called suicidence, and and suicidence means exactly what it says on the tin. People don't want to talk about suicide, but you need to talk to people who are in trouble. So during Christmas, keep your eye out for those lonely ones that uh, got the, the family have gone or for whatever reason and, and reach out to them and keep them, uh, uh, keep them in your thoughts. Absolutely. A lovely message to finish with. Jim, absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank okay. you very much for joining us. Okay, you're most welcome. I had a great time. Thanks. And a big thanks to Jim Cregan there. Please support him and the Angel Force charity. If you can spare a couple of pounds or dollars or euros, check out Cregan & Co's When a Child is Born. Jim was uh, such a humble guy, wasn't he? And I love the part where he tried to phone Rod Stewart and Britt Eklund answered. Totally natural, of course. Now, Jim is the kind of guy you could do a real deep dive conversation with, spend a good couple of hours really getting into his career... I mean, we barely scratched the surface, but I hope you enjoyed the chat with him. 
Right now is the time of the programme for the top fives, and this week it's going to be the top five Rod Stewart songs. But first, looking back on last week's top five Supertramp songs, I've got to say I was quite surprised to only receive one bit of feedback on my selection. Usually I get well into double figures, but you were all pretty quiet on me last week, so I'm taking that to mean that you all completely, wholeheartedly agree with my choices. The only person to actually get in touch was Hugh Flaherty, I think that's how you say it, who said that the logic song is an absolute classic and has to be at number one. Other than that, he'd have Goodbye Stranger in his top five, along with Take the Long Way Home. He also said A Shout for School in his list too. Thanks for that, Hugh. So to this week's choices then, Rod Stewart. I'm sticking to his solo work, so not including the faces material in this. Remember, it's my personal selection. I don't expect you to agree with them all, and I really would love to hear from you with your thoughts on my picks and uh, your own selections as well, so I can give you a mention on next week's show. So here you go. My favourite five songs from Rod Stewart. At five is a hit from his A Night on the Town album. The single reached number two in the UK charts in 1976. It's a story of a gay friend who was murdered, a brave subject in the mid-70s. It's a great song, thought-provoking. At number five is The Killing of Georgie. Another kid, a switchblade knife, and did not intend to take his life. He just pushed his luck a little too far with that night. And number four is actually a cover, originally recorded by Tom Waits in the mid-80s. Rod's version featured Jeff Beck and was a big hit, number one in Canada, three in the US, top ten in the UK in 1990. Number four is Downtown Train. Number three is a great song. Number one in the UK in 1972 from his Never a Dull Moment album. It's another brilliant vocal performance from Rod on this one. One of his absolute classics. And number three is You Wear It Well. Number two comes from his Tonight I'm Yours album. It was released in 1981 and with its strong 80s sound and new wave feel, it paved the way for Rod into a new generation. It's a great upbeat number. Young hearts be free tonight. And number two is Young Turks. And at number one is an absolute classic. It's a song everybody knows, young or old, with some great storytelling in the lyrics. It was his first mega hit and is probably still his signature song today. The undoubted number one song from Rod Stewart, in my opinion, from the Every Picture Tells a Story album, is Maggie May. Wake up, Maggie, So there you go, my top five songs from Rod Stewart's solo career. So many other big songs missing out, of course, but I don't really need to list them. But I would love to hear what you think. What do you think I got right? What do you think I got wrong? Message me on the social media platforms or email me, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, and I'll give you a readout on next week's show. 
Well, that's it for me on this week's big interview show. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app and on YouTube as well. It's a growing channel with the interviews in video form. You can get to see me, which is not great, but you get to see the fantastic guest I interview, which is much better indeed. Anyway, I'll be back tomorrow with another This Day Rocks episode featuring a man who was playing in one of the biggest bands of the 70s. But until then... Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.